All right, if you got your Bibles there, I'll get you to open up uh, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Just need to get myself settled here. Um, you, ever, you ever go outside, um, you go out for the day, you get yourself dressed and, and realize you got your shirt on backwards, like it's, like it's on inside out? <coughs> That didn't happen to me today, but I had this moment in the middle of worship where I thought I did. Um, but everything's fine. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm sharing with that with you. I just <laughs> I feel the need to settle in here for a moment. Um, all right, so we're going to read a passage from Mark, Mark chapter 10, now that we know that my shirt's not inside out. And... Um, Mark chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 46. Verse 46, it says, They came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large, uh, and a large crowd. Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more. Have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up. He's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, the blind man said to him, I want to see. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. So it was a number of weeks ago uh, now I was, you know, just, just reading through uh, the, the Gospel of Mark. And I was reading this passage and, and I stumbled over it. And I don't say I stumbled over it as like, oh man, I've never read Mark 10 before. But sometimes you'll find, like in your Christian experience, you, you can read through the Bible, and you can read through the Scriptures, and then all of a sudden there's just this one time a passage just kind of catches you in a different way, right? Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's just something that the Spirit's highlighting to you. Maybe you've got a new translation, like a different translation to what you're familiar with, and they just phrase it slightly differently to how, you know, the other translations that you've normally read phrase it, and, and something just catches you. Something just, <clears throat> uh, you stumble over it. You trip over it. And, and I, had this, I had this moment, I had this moment here, reading here in, in Mark chapter 10, where I stumbled over something that's, that's written here. And specifically, the thing that I stumbled over was when Jesus says, said to him in verse 52, he says, Go, your faith has saved you. And immediately he could see. Now, that's a very odd, that's a very odd combination of words, especially in our modern context. You see, because here it seems to, at least in the CSB, uh, connect this idea of being saved and being able to see. He's the recovery of his sight. This man is physically healed of a physical ailment the moment he is quote-unquote saved. Now, I can just tell you right now that that is, that is a very pastorally, pastorally difficult, <laughs> pastorally difficult uh, verse to sort of navigate with people, all right? Because we don't tell people, come to Jesus and you will get healed, Right? Like we, we can't guarantee that. Like is it at least at least I can't. My 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 success rate for praying for the sick and seeing them healed is not a hundred percent. I have seen people healed. I believe God does heal. 
But I'm not, I'm definitely not at the place where I'm just like, no, come to Jesus and you will absolutely get healed uh, in this moment when I lay my hands on you. And, and so it's, it's pastorally irresponsible to say that. And yet here's, here's the reality is here in the CSB anyways, it just says, go, your faith has saved you. Now, a number of you are probably looking at me funny because your Bibles won't say your faith has saved you. Because if you're reading NIV or NASB or NLT or any of it just says your faith has made you well or your faith has healed you or any of these sorts of things. But here in the CSB, the, the, the way they've chosen to translate this word is saved. And the reason why I'm stumbling over this, the reason why I'm stumbling over this is because this started a whole train of thought for me. And it's not the first time this, this train of thought has crossed my mind. It's not the first time I've gone down this rabbit hole. But, but it, it started this train of thought for me yet again in that sometimes the way in which we talk about salvation, what it is to be saved, is not always absolutely congruent with the way the Scripture is talking about salvation. And I want us to just meditate on this passage here a little bit this morning because I think it has something important to say to us about the nature of what salvation really is. Okay? Now, before we can do that, I feel, I feel uh, like we need to set the stage uh, for what Jesus is, is saying and doing here in this passage. So, so let, let me set the stage for you. Now, to set the stage for this, we've got to go way back. We've got to go way back all the way to the beginning. You see, this story, the story that Jesus walks into has a, a beginning that's a very long time ago. And that's at the dawn of creation. When God creates His good and perfect, His, His ordered world. Back in the, in the, in the story of Genesis, we're told that, that God, He speaks with, with His power. He speaks things into existence. He says light and there's light. He speaks and the, and the planets and the universes and the, the galaxies and the stars are, are brought into existence. And, and, and it says that out of this chaos, He, he brings order and He brings life. It, the, 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 first two, uh, the first two chapters of Genesis reveal to us that, that there is this God, there is this creator God, and when He creates, He created a good world. He created a world that was full of life and it was he calls it good. <clears throat> it's ordered. It's abundant. It's peaceful. And in this good world, in this good world, he seems to be, anyways, committed to actually reigning and ruling over this creation with his creatures. With his creatures. He, he, he delegates some authority uh, to those who are in the heavens, and, he, and then he delegates authority here on earth to these, to these dirt creatures called people called mankind. But that's obviously not where the story ends. You see, in chapter three of that, in chapter three of that story, we find that this good creation has been corrupted. This good creation has elements in it now we, the story doesn't tell us where they come from or how they became corrupted, but the, the story is, is that Genesis 3, this Satan shows up and tempts 
Eve tempts mankind and they fall into sin. And, and, and the whole story of Genesis 1 to 11 is, is this story of corruption not only entering into God's good creation, but then becoming worse and worse and filling and corrupting. And, and the story of, 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 of Genesis 1 to 11 is just being filled with corruption, filled with a number of rebellions, both in, in our space here in, in, on the earth and up in the heavenlies as well. Multiple rebellions, multi, uh, uh, much corruption filling the earth. Basically, the TLDR is, by the time you get to the end of Genesis 11, things are really bad. Things are really bad. There is a darkness that has swept over God's good creation. There is this now seemingly this new kingdom, this new realm and this new area uh, called the kingdoms of this world. And, and God eventually hands mankind over at the Tower of Babel, divides up the nations, uh, scatters their languages and hands the nations over to be ruled and reigned over by lesser spiritual beings or lesser gods. Um, that, and that's essentially that's what happens in Genesis 11. And it's this realm of darkness, this realm of chaos, this realm of death, this realm of being away from the presence of God, being away from the very source of life, this place of rebellion. And I always, always feel like when, I, when, I'm ex- when I'm trying to explain this, this to people and I'm you know, teaching on this, you know, I'm like, uh, I like to say, it's like when you, Genesis 1 to 11 is kind of like the, the pre-roll, like the pre-roll on, um, on like, like a Star Wars film. Yeah, it's like a, it's got like the music, and it's got like uses like you know a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, all these people in rebellion, um, and the empire, you know, like <laughs> all this sort of stuff, and then and then that that scroll finishes, and the camera pans down onto like Tatooine, and all of a sudden like Luke's there, and you're like, oh, he's the good guy, right? <clears throat> well, same thing happens in Genesis. The biblical authors stole it from George Lucas. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, same thing happens in Genesis, right? Is is you is you you're left you're left with this story where where you're like, is there any hope for this good creation? Is there any hope for mankind? Look, they 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 rebelled in the garden and then and then they were more fully corrupted in Genesis 6 and then there's this ultimate rebellion in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. Is there any hope? Will God simply abandon this project? Or will he redeem it? And then you get to Genesis 12. You get to Genesis chapter 12. And it, and it talks about how then God calls this, this man Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And he makes a covenant with him. And he says, I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to be, make you a blessing to all the nations. Now, obviously, the story goes on. As, as most of you would probably be familiar Abraham goes on and he has many descendants. They eventually become the nation of Israel. God's design for the nation of Israel is that they would be a light in this darkness, that they would be a hope for the nations, so that if at any point these rebellious peoples would long for God, would look for God, they would be able to see this light. They would be able to see this light in the nations called Israel. And they would be able to make their way home. They would be able to make their way back to him. That was God's design for them. But obviously, if you know the story, you know that they didn't live up to that mandate very well. They didn't live up to that mandate very well. All the trials, all the troubles. <clears throat> and so by the time, so by the time we actually get 
here to Jesus arriving on the scene, we see that even the nation of Israel in many ways has become part of this present evil age, has become part of the kingdom of darkness. Yes, they still had the law. Yes, they were still separated in many ways, but there's also many clues here in the narrative that they'd actually made allegiances with Rome, they'd made allegiances with the kingdoms of this world, and their hearts had become hard. It's onto this dark stage that Jesus steps forth. And you see, John actually, John actually records, uh, John, John describes it this way. Uh, if you want to turn with me uh, to John chapter 1. He records it like this, and, and, and given, given the story and where we are so far, you'll, you'll see why John phrases it the way that he's phrased it. In John 1, starting at verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness has not overcome it. When we see Jesus coming on the scene, for all, for all the you know, preconceptions and the Christianese and all this stuff that, that we have sort of in our minds, one, one of the things that we, we've got to see when we see Jesus stepping on the scene, the Messiah coming, is we've got to see that he is somebody who is coming as an opposing force to the darkness that is presently reigning and ruling over the earth in his time. He is coming as an opposing kingdom. He is coming as an invading kingdom. He is coming as a king from another realm who doesn't abide by the rules and the laws and the way in which the kingdoms of this world seem to operate. But he comes as a conquering king. He comes as an invading king into this space. And so, so this, is, this is the context and the, and the framework I want, I want you to have in your mind as we begin to look at what's happening here in Mark 4. All right? So Jesus steps down on steps from heaven comes, veils himself in human flesh, tabernacles amongst them. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he is coming to bring a new kingdom into the kingdoms of this world. You can see, you can see that um, it was very unexpected for a lot of people. Not only for the Jews, because a lot of them missed it, but also for the demons. You, know, you ever read through, you ever read through the, the, the accounts of the Gospels and you see the demons like freaking out? Like, what are you doing here? Have you come to, to, to torture us before our time? Even they're confused as to what Jesus is actually doing in their realm. What's Jesus doing here in our, in, in, in our space? This is our territory. This is our realm. What's he doing here? This is what Jesus is coming to do. He is coming as a conquering king. And what is revealed here, I believe, in, in Mark chapter 10, for our consideration, is that salvation... Salvation is actually being saved from something. And I, 
and I know, we, I know we say this a lot. I know I say this a lot. But your salvation is not just you getting a ticket into heaven. That's, that's so often how we, we phrase it, and honestly, so often how we think about it. Have, have, you, have you prayed the sinner's prayer? Good. Well, then your ticket's stamped, and when you get there, you just hand that to Peter on the way through the pearly gates, and he's going to let you on in, VIP access. It's going to be great. It, it, that's not how the Bible is talking about salvation. That's not how the Bible is talking about salvation. That's how we tend to conceptualize that. And if that's been your experience up until now, that's perfectly okay. That's perfectly okay. Jesus is not angry at you. All right. All right. God's not, God's not well, they didn't think about this right. I'm not going to let them in. They're going to get there. They're going to hand me that ticket. I'm going to say, you know, that's void. That promotion has expired. <laughs> no, not at all. I genuinely believe God in his condescension actually stoops to our inadequacies, even our inadequacies in our understanding, right? If your trust is in Jesus, right, if he's the Lord of your life, if you've turned from sin, you've turned to him, it's going to be okay, all right? But what I want us to do this morning as we look at this passage, I want us to actually expand our vision of what salvation is of how the Bible is talking about salvation. You see, because the Bible talks about how we are actually living under tyranny. And now, I'm not talking about, you know, the Australian government. You know, we, in my opinion, pretty good government compared to some of the other governments we could be living under, not only around the world today, but down through history. We've got a pretty good, right? So I'm not talking about tyranny in that sense. What I'm talking about is the Bible talks about us living under a tyranny of the kingdom of darkness, under a tyranny of sin, under the tyranny of death, under a tyranny of the principalities and the powers whose desire it is to seek, uh, to steal, to kill, and destroy, to rule tyrannically over God's good creation. And it's actually into this kingdom, into that system that Jesus steps as an opposing force, as a liberator, if you will. He has come, he has come to rescue or save us from all those forces, all those powers. He has come to rescue us and to liberate us from all of those things, which means he's come to liberate us not just from the effects, uh, not, not just from the power of sin, but also the effects of sin. And so here's, here's what we see happening here in this passage, because I say we're going to keep meditating on it. We haven't actually really meditated on it just yet. So we're just going to walk through this real quick, and, and I want to point out a couple things. I want to point out a couple things that I think are very important. So he says, uh, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, that little phrase there is very important. That little phrase there is very important. That Jesus, son of David, means that Bartimaeus recognized something about Jesus that maybe wasn't apparent, right? Jesus' dad was Joseph. Well, obviously the Holy Spirit, but like in the natural sense, Joseph. Joseph was his dad. This is, this is, what, he said, this is what they say of him when he, when he goes back to his hometown. He's like, isn't this Joseph's son? The, the, the carpenter's son? You know, you know, but 
Bartimaeus actually recognized something about Jesus in, and calls him the son of David, which is a messianic term. Bartimaeus understood something about Jesus, that he was there to save his people. He was there to liberate his people. And so that's really important. Firstly, Bartimaeus recognizes that Jesus is the Savior. The next thing I want us to recognize is that when Jesus uh, stops and he calls him and he comes over, um, then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Rabboni. The blind man said to him, I want to see. Now, what's interesting, that, that word Rabboni um, is, is like the Hebrew word for Lord or Master, right? It's this declaration of, of Jesus' lordship over him. That's, that's really important for understanding salvation. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But actually, there's just a side note, a side note of just how beautiful the heart of God is in this moment. You see, contrary to the way this world works, where those with power, those with authority, tend to, tend to, more often than not, lord it over those who don't have it. Those, those who have tend to, tend to lord it over those who do not. Those who don't tend to be the servants of those who have. That's just the way this, this, this world system tends to work. But what we actually see here in this moment, and, and it, just, it just struck me as I was preparing this. You see, Mark has, already just, um, Mark has just already had this big discussion with James and John starting at verse 35 about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And he says, the greatest among you will be the servant. And he says here, um, he says here in verse 44, he says, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all, be a servant to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then here we have, like just a few verses later, he comes upon this blind man. This blind man with no status, no wealth, no authority, no power, nothing like that. This blind man properly recognizes Jesus as the Son of David, the Messiah, the one who's going to come and liberate the people. He calls him Rabboni. He calls him Lord. And what's Jesus' response? What can I do for you? What is it that you want me to do for you? God loves you. God loves not only everything about who you are, who he created you to be, but he cares enough about all the situations and the things that are going on in your life even the small stuff, even the stuff you don't think you should bother him with because he's too busy. So I heard somebody, heard somebody this week was talking, about, um, was talking about their prayer life and was saying, you know, like I pray a little bit for me, but I pray a lot for other people because I don't want to bother him because I know he's, he's got a lot of stuff on. And that's sweet. I Look, <laughs> Yes, God has a lot of stuff on, but he has time for you. He always has time for you. Don't ever hesitate to bring the smallest cares and concerns and worries of your heart to him. Because he cares for you. He cares for you. He loves you. Anyways, that's an aside. But then what Jesus does here... He says, you know, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want to see. Jesus said to him, go, your faith 
has saved you. <clears throat> and what ends up happening is he's physically healed, he can now see, and he begins to follow Jesus. See, the Bible talks about, Bible talks about how Jesus, and this is in Acts chapter 10, when, Paul, uh, when Peter is sharing the gospel with Cornelius. He says, you heard all the things that happened, how Jesus went about preaching the good news and healing all those who were oppressed by the enemy, who were oppressed by Satan. The reason why, the, the, the reason the Bible gives for why there's sickness, why there's death, why there's brokenness in our world is because of sin. It's because of the corruption of the, the, the kingdoms of this world, because of the corruption of the God of this age, whose desire it is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so when God steps down into our situation, steps down into our world to liberate us, to save us, those are the things He wants to save us from. Those are the things He wants to save us from. He doesn't just want to save us so that one day we can get to heaven. Right? He wants to save us here and now to liberate us not only from the power of sin, but from the effects that sin has had on this world. He wants to liberate you not only from the power of sin, but the effects that sin has had on this world. So firstly... He wants to liberate you from the power of sin. <clears throat> Bible talks about how because of the, the world that we're born into, we're actually born subject to sin. We're born as slaves to sin. And I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that. Maybe it's just people who aren't here this morning who have experienced slavery to sin. Well, other people in me, but not you guys. But I'll tell you what it's kind of like. It means, that, it means that from your heart, you just tend to choose sin over righteousness. Not only is your heart inclined that way, your, your heart is inclined to be selfish. Your heart is inclined to, to bring forth bitterness and, and hatreds and all these sorts of things. But then there's an entire world system that trains you and encourages you to be that way as well. And when Jesus steps into the situation, his desire is to actually liberate you from the power and the hold that sin has over you. This is why repentance is so important. You, 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 can't, have, you can't have any kind of salvation apart from repentance. right? You need to turn away from your sin. And the only way in which you can turn away from your sin is because of the power that Jesus actually provides through the cross. Where he has defeated sin. He has defeated death through what he has done on the cross. And so let me just encourage you. If you are sitting here and you are currently enslaved to your sin, you've never trusted Jesus before, I want to encourage you. Turn from it. Turn from it and turn to Jesus. And he'll set you free. If you're someone who's turned to Jesus and you're walking with him, but you're still struggling with your sin, sin still seems to have its power and its grip over you, I want to assure you that that is an illusion. It has no real power over you. Keep in mind that your entire life 
has been trained, your heart and mind has been trained your entire life to live a certain way. And sometimes those habits are incredibly powerful. But there is power in Jesus Christ to break those. There's power in Jesus to be free from sin. Every time, every time it happens and, and that situation comes up, that temptation comes and you just feel it grab you from your heart. You have the power in Jesus Christ to turn away from it and to be set free from it. And that can be a whole other sermon. But what I want to focus on here is, secondly, the effects of sin. The effects of sin. So he not only libera- liberates us out from underneath the power that sin has, from, has over us, but he liberates us from the effects of sin. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, he says, and he's quoting Isaiah 61. This is Jesus. He sits down. He sits down um, in the synagogue, and they hand him the scroll, and he reads this select portion. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Is Jesus' purpose in bringing his kingdom that we as not only individuals, but as humanity, as mankind, would be actually liberated from the power of sin and also the effects that sin has caused, the corruption that sin has caused, the death and destruction that sin has caused? <clears throat> He wants to set you free. Now, in Isaiah 61, it also says he's come to actually bind up or to heal the brokenhearted. This, this, looks, like, this looks like being healed of personally destructive habits. Uh, families being made whole, bodies being healed. All these sorts of things. All these things are included in what we would call, what we would class as salvation. That's, that's why I think the, the translators here have chosen to just leave this as saved rather than saying healed. Now, in so many other contexts, this word is used when somebody is healed, and they, and they can just translate it as healed, right? That, that's a, a perfectly reasonable translation for this word at this point because that's, that's physically what's happening, right? But what God is doing, what Jesus is doing in this in this moment for Bartimaeus is he's not just healing him. It's not just a nice thing that he's doing for Bartimaeus. What he's doing for Bartimaeus is he's actually liberating him. He's liberating him. You see, Bartimaeus has lived his entire life under the tyranny of Satan, under the tyranny of the kingdom of darkness. And in this moment, when the king When King Jesus steps on the scene and he recognizes him as the Savior, as the Liberator, as the Messiah, and he declares him as Lord, Bartimaeus finds, Bartimaeus not only finds that his body is healed, but that his heart is healed. You see, because I I don't think it's, I think it's significant that as soon as he sees, he begins to then follow Jesus. Now, I imagine, I imagine 
that something in the last, say, minute and a half has probably made some people uncomfortable because I just, I just coupled healing with salvation and I put them together in a very uncomfortable way for most people. And I get that. But when I look at the trajectory, when I look at the trajectory of where we're headed as God's people, I believe that all, one day we will all be healed. It's God's desire that one day we will all be healed. Like, like that's just going to happen. That's a reality. <clears throat> but it doesn't always just have to be a one-day thing. Healing can happen today. You can be liberated from sickness. You can be liberated from brokenness in your body. And, and, and so I, I, should probably, I should probably just spend a, a little bit of time talking about the, the three, we'll call the three tenses in which the Bible talks about salvation. The first one being is when the Bible says you're saved. You're saved here and now. The Bible talks about how when you actually turn in faith to Jesus, you turn away from the kingdoms of this world, you turn away from your sin, you turn to Jesus. You're saved. You're reconciled to God. You're reconciled to God in that moment. And there is not a thing you could do to earn that. That is something that is freely given by God's grace. Freely given by God's grace. And in that moment, when you turn to Him and expectantly look to the Lord Jesus for salvation, it is rightfully said of you that you are saved. You have been saved out of the kingdom of darkness, and you have been brought into his kingdom of light. Now, there's also a very future sense when it says, on that day you will be saved. And in that sense, what, what, what the Bible's talking about there is that there is, coming, there is a coming judgment on the earth. There is a coming destruction of all that is uh, evil, all that is wicked, all that it has no place in God's kingdom. And that will one day all be destroyed. And on that day when that happens, for those who are in Jesus, you will, in fact, be saved. Now, that's the way that most people tend to think about salvation, okay? Is that, is that, that one day I will be saved from hell. Well, I will be saved from destruction. I will be saved on that day of judgment, right? That is true. If, you trust in, if you're trusting in Jesus and He is your Lord, He is your Savior, you will be saved on that day. But then there is this middle sense where you are being saved. And the Bible talks about how you are being saved. And that's what I want us to really focus on. The experience of salvation in the here and now. The experience of the salvation in the here and now. We live in this, we live in this space between two times. We, we live in this space between the first century when Jesus steps on the scene and he inaugurates his kingdom here on the earth. And we live between this moment and that final moment at the end of the age when all things will be gathered under his feet. When, 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 when all things will be set right. When there will be no sadness anymore. There will be no brokenness anymore. There will be no tears anymore where all things will have been made new. And right now, we live in this kind of in-between age, being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ now in this moment and faithfully looking in expectation that one day He is going to rescue us. And in the meantime, 
In the meantime, God is in the process of liberating us from sin and the effects of sin. And I want, I want to raise your hope levels this morning. I want to raise your awareness to that reality. Is that if you are in Christ Jesus, there should be an experience of that salvation in your life. There should be an experience of that salvation in your life. That is something that you should be experiencing as a Christian. Now, it's at this point, everyone will point to the thief on the cross and go, well, what about him? You know, it seems like he didn't have much time to experience much of anything. And yet Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Absolutely. God is faithful to his word. But I've got to imagine that if somehow that thief got down off that cross, and then they didn't just kill him anyways because he was sentenced to die, that if he had continued following the Lord, he would have experienced the ability to not only leave his criminal ways, but to make amends for those who he had wronged, to see his family hopefully restored. God wants that for you. God wants that for you. His desire is to see you set free. Not just so that you don't sin anymore, I'm, I'm not quite there yet. I'm still being liberated from, from, the, from, from sins. You know? And God is good, and He's gracious, and He's patient. But there's times where I still sin. But the most beautiful thing, most beautiful thing happens over time as you walk with Jesus is He sets you free from that, and He begins to heal you. He begins to heal your heart. He begins to make it whole, to make you a more whole human being. And then, in turn, you get to then turn around and give that kingdom power to other people. You, you have the power to, to bring peace into situations that are in chaos. You, you have the power to, to minister to other people's hearts and bring healing and wholeness there where there was perhaps only pain and destruction before. And the reason why I want you to raise your expectation and awareness to that is because so often, so often, we just lose hope and we just kind of hold out for that one day. I want you to raise your expectation and go, Son of David, have mercy on me. If there's situations in your life, you, I, I don't know where your marriage is at. I don't know where your family's at. I don't know if you're estranged from your kids. I don't I, you know your brothers, your sisters. I don't know if you've got challenges in your workplace. Your 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 boss doesn't you know is, has got an issue with you, or maybe you've got an issue. What, whatever it is, whatever it is, God wants to work in that situation. He wants to move in that situation. 
And as Christians, we should have this expectation that we carry the Holy Spirit within us, that He is living in us, and where the presence of the Lord is, His kingdom is there. And there is healing and wholeness and restoration to be had. And as well, I don't just want to talk about relationships, but I want to talk about your physical bodies as well. Now, I don't promise anybody healing. I've prayed for too many people, and they haven't gotten healed for me to be able to make that promise. But it seems to me that there is healing in God's kingdom. And it seems to me, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that there's gifts of healing that God actually desires to actually pour out. And so I would love, I would love for those of you with physical ailment, even chronic long-term physical ailments that you've prayed for time and time and time again and not seen any remedy for, I want to encourage you, don't lose hope. Don't just go, well, I'm going to shelve that and one day it's just going to get sorted out in the new creation. God's desire, God's desire, I believe, is that you would pursue Him for your healing even if you never get to see it on this side. Even if you never get to see it on this side of eternity. Because we have this testimony here in Scripture. Not only of, of blind Bartimaeus, we have the testimony of the woman with the issue of blood. This continual bleeding issue that she had. We have, we have the testimony, we have the testimony of, of uh, in uh, Luke 17, right, with the ten lepers. Now, what's interesting, what, what's, what's interesting about, about that particular testimony is they cry out. They cry out. Say, they say the same thing. Master, have mercy on us. Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, go, show yourself to the priest. Make, make the offering um, that's required for your cleansing. And it says, and as they went, they were cleansed. But then one returned. One returned to give glory to God. He falls at Jesus' feet, and he begins thanking and blessing the Lord. And Jesus says, Jesus says to him, um, <clears throat> Jesus says to him, you know, where are the other nine? And he's like, weren't, weren't there ten of you? Like, as in, where are the other nine? And then he says the same thing that he says to blind Bartimaeus here. He says, go. Your faith has saved you. It was different to the healing. It was different to the healing. But here... In Mark chapter 10, the two things seem to be quite closely linked. So the reason why I'm talking about any of this this morning is because I want you to raise your expectation. Raise your expectation about what you can experience in regards to salvation from God. What you can experience is the liberation from the kingdoms of darkness, from the kingdom of darkness and the power of sin and the effects that sin has had on not just the world generally, but on you and the, and the world around you. And when you begin to experience that, begin to look more broadly. You'll begin to see destruct, the destructive effects that the kingdom of darkness has had, not only in your life, but in the lives of so many other people. You'll begin to see the destructive effects that, God, that, 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 that the kingdom of darkness and Satan has had on this world, in the systems of injustice, in the systems that are put in place to oppress people and to hurt people and to corrupt people and to lead them into sin and to lead them into destruction. And you'll begin to see and know that there is hope for those situations as well. I believe God wants to use His church, just like the nation of Israel, to be a light to the nations, 
to be a light in the world, a light in the darkness. Just as Jesus was, had life in him, and that life was the light of men, that life now resides in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And his desire is to use you to be a light to the people. And we should expect that. We should be expecting that experience, that experience of salvation. Doesn't mean that we'll experience it perfectly because we live in this in-between time and what people have called the already but not yet. But I genuinely believe we need to start living and expecting the not yet rather than just going, well, I guess it'll all work out in the end. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the team up um, to lead us in another song. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that there is a kingdom that Jesus has inaugurated. A kingdom that we should desire to see made manifest here on the earth. A kingdom where there's salvation, not only from the tyranny of Satan. There's salvation from sin, the power of sin, the destructive consequences of sin. And I believe God genuinely wants to work in and through us to bring healing and wholeness, not only to our lives, but to the people around us. So I'm just going to pray. Lord, actually, I'll just get everyone to stand, if you're, if you're able. Holy Spirit, I just pray that, I just pray, God, you, I just ask you to be raising people's eyes to Jesus. Holy Spirit, you'd be ministering to us even now, reminding us of situations, relationships, whatever it is that we've kind of just let go or, or just, we've just accepted that they're broken. God, it's your desire. We know it's your desire to actually bring healing and wholeness and restoration to all those things. And Jesus, we just as your people acknowledge you as Lord. And we just recognize that there is no salvation outside of your Lordship. I just ask you would teach us more and more, instruct our hearts more and more what it is to live as Lord, and live with you as our Lord, to be taught your ways, to be given your wisdom, to walk in your power. We thank you, Jesus.